0: Namurta sa bhugoa tu arahatu a sama sambhutasa. Namurta sa bhugoa tu arahatu a sama sambhutasa. Namurta sa tu arahatu a sama sambhutasa. Budhang This evening, what I wanted to speak about was I've come up with a new acronym. Uh, Some of you were here for the New Year's Eve talk when I spoke about uh, gods that I believe in. And since then, I've noticed um, acronyms all over the place, Um, some of them rather corny (laughs) My favourite one is uh, that uh, it's something that you find out when you go down to the building site on Friday afternoon, and you're expecting the builders to be there until four o'clock at least, or five o'clock, and two o'clock they're already packing up to go home. And you say, "What's happening?" And they said, "Oh, it's Poets' Day. I said, Poets' Day." And uh, apparently it means push off early tomorrow Saturday. And <laughs> So anyway, that's, um, my, my, uh, my new acronym is uh, that I came up with my, my fantasy then. when I was meditating. I was playing with the word way, and, uh, but then I found that it's difficult with the uh, letter Y. And you don't get very far with that. So I, I started experimenting with the word path. And very quickly I came up with an acronym or an expression. That uh, really fitted, it, and it was a very, uh, very beautiful contemplation. So I wanted to share that this evening. And so immediately thinking about this word "path," the first thing that comes to my mind is patience, and and just how how incredibly important that is. And it's not something that generally we you know. I don't don't think you hear people talk about it very much. If you listen to the news or you read, I mean, it's not a word that's used very much. Um, Quite the opposite. We're, of course, looking for very quick results. Hmm. Rapid indications of of, uh, the results of our effort. And, And... Reality is not like that. Mm. Everyday material reality, certainly spiritual reality, yeah. that, that there, there's a time for things. Things, and and if we don't have patience, what do we have? Well, we have frustration. And so long as we are time bound then it is, I see, I see patience, I, I like to think of patience as conscious waiting, or positive waiting. Yeah. Because so long as we're time-bound, you know, we are going to be waiting. Yeah. Of course, we work with being aware, here and now. This is our training, this is our practice. And, and to, little by little, see through the delusion of the apparent solidity of time, the apparent solidity of the past and and the future, and and even the apparent solidity of the present, which is still time-based. But we're not going to let go of it just like that. And so uh, to manage our predicament that we have, of feeling like we've got to wait, Patience is a, is, a, is a really important skill. Because If we don't, we spoil things. We may be making all sorts of good effort, but if we don't have patience, we don't have this, not just this idea, but the, the force. What is, what is patience? If we see it as a force, as a, as a power, if we can't wait in a creative way, And if we don't wait, well, it's obvious what happens. If uh, Sebastian here in the kitchen um, puts the rice on and doesn't want to wait the right amount of time, it takes a certain amount of time to cook the rice. But if he doesn't want to wait because he's impatient and then he serves uncooked rice, well, it doesn't taste good and then you get a stomachache. And we can be, so we can be. We can get very impatient with things like just everyday situations with the people dealing with people who we find irritating, and Mm. or new ideas that come along. Do you remember that thing called um, concrete cancer? Do you remember concrete cancer? Maybe you do, maybe some, most of you don't know what concrete cancer is. Oh, hardly anybody knows what concrete cancer is. But concrete cancer is a fascinating phenomena. That um, if, you know, when I was a teenager, and you know, a lot of things concrete and plastic, all these things were becoming. These were the things. You know, this was going to change our world. Well, they did change our world. But we had the idea this was going to make everything wonderful and easy. And huge skyscrapers and 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 flyovers being built. And then a few years down the line. These, 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 these starlight cracks started to appear in the, this apparently solid, amazing substance called concrete. And, and uh, the scientists you know, had a look at it, and what they discovered was there was this chemical reaction going on between the silica of the sand and, and the cement, and, and uh, they hadn't predicted it, and and these cracks opened up, and, and then the moisture would go in, and then it would freeze, and then you get a bigger crack, and, and you know, you got some serious problems. I mean, there were some serious problems, and still are some serious problems being revealed. And over you know, the last uh, 20 years or so, there's, uh, the scientists have fixed it. So it's not such a problem anymore. But at the time, look at cement, this is it, concrete, we can fix everything, we can build everything, or plastic. I remember being really excited. As a teenager, I did a school project at school on plastic. This was the thing that was going to change the world. And, um, well, maybe... (laughs) Do you remember that movie, uh, The Graduate? And a younger version of Dustin Hoffman? And at the party, that guy was coming in and says, Plastic! Plastic, my boy! That's it! That's the future! Plastic! And and that was the thinking. Uh, it was around then. I, mean, I, I, you know, I was excited about it. Plastic. I was going to become an expert on it. And look at the situation we've got now. You know, everybody jumped into plastic and, and now the world is suffocating from plastic. You know, you know, if we don't have patience, we get very easily fooled by things. and We get impatient. You know. And with plastic... It, it appeared to be you know, a wonderful thing everybody invested in it and now it's i think it's the thing to invest in how to get rid of it because it's a disaster the the, uh, the government is now backing this program to to try and do away with all the plastic bags and that's a very good thing um, we here in the monastery also are trying to discourage use of plastic bags and the People generously bring food and offerings to the monastery. I take the plastic bags and fold them up and give them back and ask them to take them where they, take them back where they got them from and uh, people generally get the message and appreciate it and I hear there are some um, some politicians and some scientists are criticizing the government at the moment because um, the science behind this, this thing about plastic bags, although it is true, there are something like 13 billion plastic bags given away a year in this country. The the idea that it's responsible for killing all the sea animals. They, they, some of the, the Greenies quote these statistics of saying there's 100,000 sea mammals killed every year by plastic bags. And, uh, well, it turns out that actually uh, the, the scientific evidence is not there to back it up it's a bit of a, actually it's a, it was a misquote, what happened was, was the uh, Canadian government did some research on this and they, they came up with the statistics that 100,000 mammals were, were killed every year by plastic debris, Uh, not plastic bags, but uh, the Australian government misquoted it and so it's been misquoted ever since and so when the government pulled it out as a statistic recently and a few other people pulled it out and started waving it around and then now people are saying, well, it's not true, it's not plastic bags. But nevertheless, it still is. I mean, it's phenomenal. Actually, if you want to know about it, it is worth knowing that that what is killing the mammals is these stuff that, um, it's uh, it's called nurdles, actually. It's a, it's a raw plastic material that that uh, is used, you know, as what gets shipped to the factories to make plastic bottles and, plastic cups and plastic bags and plastic everything, these little things. They're sometimes also called called uh, mermaids' tears, which is quite fitting because they're totally polluting the oceans. And any beach you walk on, pretty well, you'll find this stuff. And it looks like it looks like little grains of sand, but you pick it up, it's plastic, little plastic beads, all sorts of colours, and it's everywhere, absolutely everywhere, all around the world, this stuff. And... Uh, And I think perhaps another mistake that I might have made uh, recently when I told you that a whale was washed up on the beach in in France with 800 kilos of plastic bags in its stomach. Well, I think I might have been wrong. I think it might have been 800 kilos of plastic noodles in its stomach. But uh, whatever it was, it killed the whale, and it kills a lot of other beings. And this is uh, the unforeseen consequences of inventing this wonderful stuff, plastic. So this is true with, you know, with lots of things in life. We something new comes along, and the word uh, "new" and "improved" tend to go together, don't they? New and improved, and and so if we don't have this sense of caution, of of holding back, you know, the old-fashioned word of forbearance. Yes. Patience, just wait and see. Is this new invention really going to work? Is this new way of doing things uh, really improved way of doing things? What about uh, tried and tested ways of doing things? And this morning I was speaking with the monastic community here uh, about uh, ways we th- certain things are done in the monastery, Um, because there's there's been some talk around of how we need to change this and change that and and the old way of doing things doesn't work and and the ways they did things in Thailand doesn't work and and this leadership model needs to be changed and so on and so forth and and there are new ways of doing things and and what I was mentioning to the community this morning was that that, uh, I think it's wise to be very patient with these things. Just because something looks like it's used and old and something new comes along and looks like it's impressive doesn't mean to say that it's going to be better. Mm. You know, like the beautiful old buildings of Newcastle that they tore down in the 60s, and now what is it? there's one street left of the beautiful architecture of Newcastle and actually now they're pulling down the old buildings that they put up in the 60s with that uh, cement. But uh, well, uh, well, likewise with uh, monastic community life, there are lots of the old tried and tested ways that that I personally have great confidence in. That, you know, these are, some of these things have been used for 2,500 years and yes, they've been used in a different context and, and yes, there is a process of integration going on into this context. But I think it takes time. And uh, as I mentioned this morning to the community, you read a little social anthropology and you realise that human values take a long time to change. Real deep human values take a long time to change. And You may feel very strongly about something. If it's not the right time, then it won't work. And, and so to have this capacity to wait... And not get negative about it. maybe it's not the right time. You put something in the ground to plant, and you you know you want it to flower or bear fruit, and well, it will in the right time. Eh? And and so with our practice, this ability to wait without getting negative, to wait without getting pulled into the desire to get immediate results. It's something we can, we can cultivate. and We can cultivate it and just by recognising the need for it. And one, of the, uh, one of the few good things about being locked up in an aeroplane for 12 hours is that it's a wonderful opportunity to cultivate patience. The only other alternative, well, there's two alternatives. One, you could get drunk, which is not an option for me, But the second alternative is you can get negative and miserable. You can't go anywhere, you're on this plane, and you can't get off. It's not stopping for 12 hours. And you can choose, you can actually choose to wait positively, to wait consciously. And there's a strength in that, a wonderful strength in that. Outwardly, in our situation of engagement with the world, and inwardly. Uh, the process that we all engage with in our spiritual practice, our inner life. And we all have the, uh, the wish to see things change, but they don't go according to our wishes. You know, we hear these teachings and we get a feeling for, an inclination for What's been spoken about when the Buddha talked about the way of mindfulness, the way of awareness itself, this is the way of freedom, to, to be aware and not being, to not be caught up in the, in the objects of awareness. Yeah. This is the world, the sights, the sounds, smells, tastes, touches, the mental impressions, all the activity, all the activity, all the movement, Unreliable, unstable, we get caught up in it well we we suffer accordingly, but the Buddha was pointing out that there is that which is not changing, that which is stable, that which is inherently free and safe, a real refuge and this quality of awareness is something that that has to be cultivated and can be cultivated. And yet even if we get a feeling for this and, and a sense of, of how, how really good it feels, how right it feels to learn to abide as awareness mm. instead of all the thinking, mm. all the emoting, all the imaging, how busy and painful all that activity is and and then if we can just little by little drop out of it, pull back from it, feel that in which all this is arising and ceasing And, and that is so appropriate and so natural and so attractive. And then what happens? we catch ourselves getting caught up in thinking and imagining and emoting and and being lost again. And if we don't have patience, then we can make it a lot worse. So patience, as I suggest, is like a force, something that we can, by recognizing the need for it, by recognizing the consequence of not having it, uh, we value it, and, and and it grows and develops. And so, and then the second uh, on this uh, this path of practice, uh, patience, and then the, the, the second that a it is awareness itself. That this is something that uh, that we can work on. One of the wonderful things about the Buddha's teaching is that that this is not about something to believe in. There are a lot of teachings around that tell us what and how to believe. And I guess the Buddha tried those as well. But what he realized and what he taught was that the real refuge, the freedom, is not in belief, is not in anything that arises and ceases, not in any condition, not in any thought, not in any concept, not in any philosophy, not in any experience, not in any feeling, but in learning to abide as the awareness that knows all the thoughts, all the feelings, all the experiences. You know, we could we could talk about this, or I like to think, of it as this is this is what we are. This is our identity. You know, we, you know, we struggle with my thoughts, my feelings that I I shouldn't have, or or the experiences I should have or want to have, and and. Even the experience of struggling, if we exercise awareness, then even the struggle itself is not an obstruction in practice. We might ask the question what is awareness? What is awareness? I want to know what awareness is. I want to understand awareness. Well, I would say that awareness is that which knows you're asking that question. There is that, isn't there? There's the knowing, there's the question what is awareness? is that activity, that thought, that interest, that movement. What is awareness? The Buddha talked about awareness, cultivating awareness, purifying awareness. Yeah. Perfect awareness is freedom. What is awareness? All that thinking, what is awareness? Yeah. All that movement, that's activity. But there's also the knowing of the activity, isn't there? That's awareness. And then, yeah. But I want to grab it, I want to have it. Yeah. That I want to grab it, I want to have it, I want to be it that 's more movement, and that 's why consistently the Buddha pointed out that all the movement, all the activity is characterized in these three ways An, and depending on what sort of character we are, one of these three signs, one of the three lakana, will actually appeal to us, so all of the movement, all of the stuff, all of the activity, all of it is not it. And we have the intuition, the inclination, the sense that that's true, yeah. that there is the uncreated, the unborn, the undying. There is this true identity, and then there's all this activity. This is I, I think of it, I'm thinking of it these days as like a virtual identity. We have this virtual self, which feels like a sort of me, but it's so unreliable. It's so unreliable, it's always changing. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm sad, sometimes I'm afraid, sometimes I'm fearless, sometimes I'm proud, sometimes I'm humble, sometimes I'm I'm restful, sometimes I'm peaceful, sometimes I'm agitated. But, if you look at it from the perspective of practice, what is it that knows that I, 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 I am these things? Now, if we try to grasp that awareness, try to become that awareness, that's still more movement. However, if we can hear these teachings and pick up this training sensitively, patiently, then we're not going to increase the activity and obscure the awareness. So also thinking about yeah. are there practical ways of cultivating this awareness well such a contemplation helps getting a getting some clarity some sense of what it is we're working towards but are there any forms are there any skillful means this is one aspect of the brilliance of the Buddha's teaching is the way he did give us these uh, skillful means for Helping keeping us focused, and of course there are many ways of interpreting these teachings and these skillful means and and it's said that the eighty four thousand Dhamma doors you know, in other words, are kind of traditional mythical figures, in other words, there's as many uh, doors as there are conditions eighty four thousand just means that it's basically limitless that uh, there's as many Dhamma doors as there are people. You know? We have to find our own way. And so reading the teachings, listening to the various teachers, uh, ways of encouraging us towards uh, experiencing for ourselves the value of these teachings. And as you uh, heard, uh, I've spoken many times that the way, the things that are important for me in terms of technique is there's these three things yeah. whole body, mind, here and now, judgment free awareness. It is, if we want to cultivate awareness, if you want to, what can I, how can I remind myself? How can I bring myself back? How can I <clears throat> help protect myself from getting lost? I think these three reminders, these three suggestions work very well. And they are just that, they're In any given situation, if you've, if you've trained yourself with them, in any given situation, you can just suggest to the mind, say, whole body mind. And what happens in the moment of that suggestion? Instead of being identified with our virtual self, instead of being caught up and lost in some activity, pull back, open up, and experience ourselves as a larger reality. And I would say that that's, that's a movement towards this realization of the value of awareness. Whole body, mind, here and now. You know, we just suggest to ourselves here and now. In some situation you're in with, with other people or sitting watching television or at the computer, writing an email or, or washing the dishes or cooking. You can remember the refuge in awareness and, and, and the impulse to strengthen this inclination towards realization of true identity and you, here and now. What does it feel like in the whole body-mind? We realize the degree to which we're caught up in the activity of uh, past, present, and future. And with that suggestion, if it's done with feeling, not just done as a technique mechanically, as I was saying last week, but done with with feeling here and now, as an experience, isn't it? As a coming back to something if we think about it too much and we want to grasp it, well, that's more activity. We can recognize how that stirs things up again, how unhelpful that is, how unnecessary that is. and Be with as much. Experiment. And we get a feeling for the inclination towards moving out of this identification with our virtual self into simply being aware. And it is. It's a it's a process and and for some it's more difficult than others depending upon the you know, complexity and the intensity of the suffering that uh, we've wrapped our personality around you know, this uh, false self or this virtual self that we've mistaken ourselves to be you know, it's wrapped around a whole lot of complex conditioning and depending on that complexity and the intensity of our grasping is it's going to be not easy to let go. Mm. However, if we can see the value of this and we exercise it, then we start to get a feeling for it. We start to drift in this direction. Whole body, mind, here and now. And the, the third point that I always keep going back to is judgment-free awareness. Mm. Because we can be, have a sense of the whole body-mind, expand our awareness to accommodate this, all of this. We can be with the sense of here and now. But there can also be this, uh, this very deep conditioning of judgment. And if we don't catch it, we don't recognize it, then it can be, dividing us between how we should and shouldn't be. And so, when meditation or, or our activity of whatever it is, is bringing rewarding results and we're feeling good about things, and to be alert to the tendency of the mind that comes up and says, this is how it should be, judging it. This is how it should be. It should be this way. This is how it should be. Very agreeable. I feel really together, very clear. This is I'm good. I'm right now. This is how this is me, how I should be. And although we may not notice it, may not notice the danger in it at the time, if we do that, well then if we create ourselves in that bias biased perception then it's only a matter of time before conditions change and the experience we have is I shouldn't be this way feeling angry again possessed by resentment guilty again lonely Again, me, lonely. Right? And there's conditioning that we have. They're saying Some of it is very compacted, it's very complex, very deep, and, and it's not just going to disappear because we have an occasional insight into the possibility of, of abiding as awareness. Mm. These skillful means are really helpful to cultivate so as to help bring us back. Bring us back. Yeah. So the patience and the recognition of the centrality of awareness and the the uh, way we can cultivate it and then the the third letter of this uh, acronym uh, T you know, what comes to my mind is trust again how important this is on the path no it often comes up. People ask the question: whether it's trust or faith. Mm. What is it? Yeah. Perhaps in our in our early life conditioning, we were we were given a very straightforward interpretation of what faith was, which actually is more akin to a kind of a belief system. And faith basically gets kind of kidnapped in there, and so we. We're, basically, we're conditioned to uh, trust in that which we these belief systems that we've been programmed with. You know, we believe things to be a certain way, and then we have this kind of uh, rather brittle, uh, not very supple uh, faith, kind of rigid, and can be challenged and, and, and uh, lead us to a lot of suffering, actually. And that, of course, is not uh, not helpful, and so um, Buddha recognized that himself and and didn't teach that. What he did teach though was um, this uh, quality he referred to the Pali word of santatar uh, of faith or trust, confidence, and so you say, "Well, what is it?" Yeah. I think of trust again, I think of trust as a as a capacity. And I like to think of it as a capacity because Trust as a capacity accommodates. And what it accommodates, if we have this well established capacity of trusting, it accommodates the experience of uncertainty. As we develop the inclination towards abiding as awareness and take leave of our false identity in our virtual self, our conditioned self, our programmed self, our deluded ego self, this process of taking leave of that delusion and and realizing something more realistic uh, can be quite frightening, can be destabilizing, can be upsetting, can be disturbing, can be quite freaky. And it's uh, very important that this capacity of trust is alive within us. Again, it's like patience in the sense that it's a force that sustains us on this journey. We have this. We can turn to trusting. We feel totally uncertain, totally unknowing, totally unsure about everything. And I mean totally, I mean everything. On the apparent conscious level, it just looks like nothing's working and nothing will ever work ever again can really feel that way deeply but if we have this capacity then even all of that apparent intense real substantial uncertainty can be accommodated and there is something larger than it we trust in that something larger than it and so I'd like to think of trust as being this capacity for accommodating uncertainty and then, but then the next question often asked is, well, what is it we trust in? What do we have faith in as Buddhists? And again, I think it's very helpful to be clear about that. And <clears throat> I would say, uh, for me, what I, have, what I trust in, there's two things. I trust in the teacher and I trust in the teachings. Yeah. I trust in the teacher, that is the Buddha, and the teachings, that's the Dhamma. And then the realized community, which is the Sangha, which is basically the same thing. All of it, you trust in the Dhamma, it's all there. The, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha are all there. And so trusting in that, trusting that, not believing, you know, we don't just believe that the Buddha was enlightened, we don't just believe that there's this person in India who was having a bad time and went out hoping to find a way of getting through it all and and and, and realised uh, liberation and bliss. No, we read these stories. We don't just believe it and then call ourselves Buddhists. But rather we listen to the Buddha's teaching, as he encourages us to do, and then we examine it. And we try it out. We apply it. And, and then we get a, get a sense of a reliable form of trust. And we might have an inclination towards trusting when we first see the teaching. Something gets quickened or a spark gets lit up. And I mean, oh, this is worth. This is trustworthy. It could be true, but that's not very reliable. And what the Buddha encouraged us to do was to to try out, to experiment with this trust. When doubt comes along, to learn from the doubt, to experiment with the doubt, to listen to the doubt, not to dismiss the doubt. You know, this is our faith, our trust being being tested, and and uh, and so we we test it. We test our trust. We test our faith. And, and then, after a while you find that yeah this is reliable it's like the sat nav we have in our car. somebody very kindly gave us a good sat nav uh, satellite navigator it's uh, a tomtom doing a little promotion <laughs> here um, it's only good if you actually keep it updated by the way so um, You've got to take the card out and put it in your computer and update it. Otherwise, you'd be getting wrong information. And you doesn't, just because it's good doesn't mean to say that you're going to get to your destination. You've got to pay attention to it. Like, we were all going down to Chithurst uh, a few months ago, and this was the first trip we did with the satnav nav in the car. We'd been travelling for I don't know how many hours, two or three hours, and it was getting a bit boring and going down the, the M1, and so I started playing with all the different languages... And say, oh, there is German. Uh, go straight ahead. Turn here. Turn right. in German. And then, oh, there's Thai. And, and there's Italian. And oh, there's Australian. There's Bruce in Australia. You know, with Bruce accent. And then we tried Serbian. And, and even had Serbian. And and Yana joking about. oh, the guy said, turn right here. And we all laugh at this. Uh, this Serbian guy saying right here. And so then we what I carry on. And and then I push the button. We go back to. You know. Sarah or whoever this nice English lady was who was giving us reliable instructions only to realise that actually the Serbian chap had been telling us we should have turned right when we should have turned right and the one right turn between here and West Sussex (laughs) we missed and uh, we ended up well on the way into the city of London and uh, that was quite inconvenient well that's because trust faith, yes, it's a force it's something that we can rely on but only when we exercise discernment and so even if we have trust that we've tried and tested, you look at the SatNav and say, like, yes, there's this here, there's the river there, there's a railway line there, and, and there's a mountain there, and turn right, we turn right, we go the right way, we turn left, we go the right way. Yes, the SatNav is reliable, so we have faith and confidence in the SatNav. But that doesn't mean to say you can just sit back and you know, relax, you still have to pay attention to it. So, trust, even trust, is not a refuge. But it is a force, a very important force. It's tried and tested <clears throat> confidence, faith, trust that we have in this path of practice. And then the fourth aspect of this uh, this little acronym that I've been playing with is uh, the H, which um, what quickly comes to my mind is honesty. In Pali, the word Sacccha. Because we can we can have a great deal of patience and we can be really committed or think we're committed to awareness confidence and trust in and, and this path of practice but the nature of the nature of delusion is very tricky we were asking Ajahn Chah once I think it was Warapanya at the time we were Walking with him, and whereupon you asked him, He said, Well, with greed, you can see what greed is. Greed is pretty obvious. And anger, you know, you can see what that is. You know, the, the three poisons the Buddha talked about greed, aversion, delusion, lopa, dosa, moha. And, and so, lopa, greed, you can see what that is. And dosa, you can see what that is. And moha, how can you see what that is? And Ajahn Chah replied, Well, moha is not knowing that there's greed and aversion there. And that is the nature of delusion, is the not knowing, the state of not knowing. And so the need for for a commitment to honesty is, one part of it is the recognition that if we're not free, it means we're deluded. Yeah. And the nature of delusion is we don't know we're deluded, we don't know when we're deluded. So it's factoring this in. So no matter how strong our commitment to awareness or, or our um, great faith and confidence and trust in the path and have a great deal of patience and all the other factors going. That uh, until we've finished our work, it's essential. I would suggest that that we cultivate uh, this quality of honesty in this way. Yeah. To be really honest, to really to regularly go back and reflect on the consequences of our activity, of the choices we make. And now we, as we, we can't know delusion in advance but we can know delusion with hindsight and so with honesty Whose honesty means that that when we get it wrong we know it we know. You know, often it's the case that you know, it's a lack of patience So often, I mean, I, <laughs> in my own case, I, I say, so often I, I see that if only I'd be more patient. Yeah. If only I'd be more patient. I just wait a little bit longer. Say, so, oh, you're being weak, you're being indecisive, you've got to be decisive, you know, you've know, got to be a man, you've got to you know, be daring and exercise is and all these attractive qualities of the path. But... But so often the mistakes that we make uh, in life, outwardly and inwardly, is because we didn't wait long enough. We, we didn't check to see. And so with this commitment to honesty, when it is a lack of patience, uh-huh. then we're honest about it. You say, oh, all right, that's all. Right. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that was lacking was patience. If I just waited a little bit longer, it would have become clear. Or resentment, you know, Another one. resentment. We you, you, you get into blaming, if you're miserable and unhappy, and somebody's done something, something somebody's done something really, really nasty, so uncalled for, so unjustified, and you get angry about it, and then you get into blaming, and that's a form of delusion. Very common form of delusion. It expresses itself with litigation in the courts. You know, it's their fault and it can get so sophisticated and so complex and go on for so long but if we're honest if we're honest with this commitment to honesty then there's a chance we're going to catch it quicker we're going to come back and say at that point I got lost I made the mistake of getting caught up in this virtual self, this conditioned self we're not going to get all judgmental we're going to say oh I shouldn't have gotten angry, that doesn't help Just simple, honest, here and now, whole body, mind, judgment-free awareness, we see anger got lost. There was the cause, there was the effect. And with that honesty comes the letting go. And with the increased commitment and strength in our path of practice. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. (laughs) Mayang dhamma wana kata sadhu karang